0: Communicate. She said she wants to make a you... Strange Brew's the
1: show of your shows. Hello and welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was just a little snippet of 10CC, The Things that We Do For Love, live from their Ultimate Greatest Hits tour... And that's available on www.onair.events, where you can actually see a film of that show in Oxford. And you get 20% off that show with, in capital letters, using the code STRANGEBREW-20. I've got Graham Goldman here on the Strange Brew to talk about that show. And as always, a broad selection of stories and material from across his career. So let's hear my chat with Graham. Hello, Graham. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. You can hear me. I can hear you. That's good. And I can see you. So even better. Testing, 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 testing. One, two, three. <laughs> it's a really interesting time to speak to you, Graham, because I spoke to you on the 28th of January, 2020. So just before the whole COVID thing came about, the lockdown, you had it, your new album out and two and a half years on, you've captured the ultimate greatest hits tour when you played in Oxford. Yeah. There was a a few years where you weren't able to go out playing live. Yeah. And so there must be the extra special elements of the shows that you've been playing because of people not being able to go out to see you and you not being out to play for them.
2: Definitely. It's so obvious that um, people are so glad to be back, not only seeing live music, but being back with other human beings. Yeah. The feeling is palpable. We felt that actually we did a gig very early on, an acoustic gig in a small club in South London. Uh, a friend of mine, a journalist friend of mine, is involved in this club, and he said, "Will you do this gig? It's only for like a hundred odd people." And I was so dying to get back to do something. Mm. And actually, it was so emotional. The joy from us as the musicians and the and the audience was uh, was amazing. Yeah. So and that. I'm still feeling that
1: uh, even now. I've obviously seen uh, the current incarnation of 10CC Live, but looking on, on YouTube, I, c- I can see some of the older shows, but they weren't necessarily captured is in high definition or the same high quality that I've seen from the, the clips from the new show because yeah. the sound and the pictures this time around are going up a level.
2: Yeah, actually, I'm just in the middle of going through them and looking at it, and it's really... fantastic the audio is great and the the pictures and of course in a way i'm actually like watching it for the looking at the band as a like in the audience you know it's really interesting and slightly weird um and i'm making notes you know if there's anything that i want (laughs) to want to change but uh no, the on-air people that have, have made it have done a great job.
1: You've still got Rick and Paul in the group, yes, haven't you? So there's yes. still that direct link to that classic era of Ten CC as well.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. You know that's really important. I think we've got to the stage where normally you need maybe two members of the original band to make it work. But I'm the only, obviously the only original member from the the original four. But because of uh, Paul and Rick's presence especially, that helps to sort of validate it. And actually, you know, the fact of the matter is, if people didn't want to come and see it or didn't like the idea of it, then they wouldn't come, but we sell out wherever we go, so what can I say?
1: <laughs> yeah, because the the music that was made in that period still connects very strongly to people, and not only live but earlier this year you had a a repackaging of the 10cc material alongside other stuff as well and and that that sold uh, very well as well so there's continuing demand
2: there's a continuing
1: demand i mean
2: we're lucky in that the music you know the songs that we wrote have a kind of a timeless quality because when we wrote and recorded them we were only we weren't following any trends we were just doing exactly what we wanted to do to please ourselves really. Unfortunately uh other people
1: like what we did. And going back to that compilation, it's very easy to just include those timeless 10cc hits but that package uh, the ultimate hits and more also reached to a much broader range of material and even including the ggo 6 material that you did with Kevin Godley.
2: Yeah, well it seemed relevant, you know. I mean, look, let's face it. The record companies want to repackage stuff and Okay, that's fair enough, but let's try and make it different. Let's add something to it that people may find interesting. And certainly the GGO6, which is, of course, myself and Kevin Godley, you know, that was great. I really enjoyed doing that, working with Kevin again. And it's it's great that people want, you know, we'll get a chance to hear that.
1: Yeah, not as many people have heard that material before. And I, no, even some of the songs that I weren't familiar with, like uh, Barry Shoes, with like the yeah. the lyric imagery there, and you can see the parallels with Ten CC. There's a slight edge to the lyrics, which just make things a bit more interesting as well.
2: Yeah, I think any any of us that do anything, whether it's you know whoever from the original band is making music, there'll always be that kind of reminder of of it, that, that essence of 10cc in, in whatever they're doing, even if it's not overtly 10cc-ish, but there'll be some element of it because we were all contributed to it.
0: Blue. Shoes. Jerry Leon Crystal meth shoes They call them wheat shoes filled with fish shoes And the fifth within them we hold issues shoes not in it have a fish you should that seems leaving the three coins of midnight On his way to meet an unknown friend empty without him in his honor only sick jokes were told and jfk got shot and the world stopped we all slowly more into our parents and the dream went cold
1: And when we spoke as well, you shared your memories of playing live with Ringo Starr, and, and in the past few years, there's been some fantastic footage of you playing Dreadlock Holiday prior to the pandemic yeah. with the All-Star Band as well. Yeah. Quite an interesting dynamic when you've got hugely talented artists on stage, which in a similar way to 10CC, you've got that dynamism of different styles and approaches which lifts things up.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute joy for me to do it mainly because of Ringo, but, you know, there was Steve Lukather from uh, Toto, who uh, he and I got on really, really well. We were like the odd couple, you know, because Luke is very sort of out there and loud and everything. And I was a sort of more of the sort of English gentleman. <laughs> but we got, we loved each other and we got on really well. Greg Bissonnay, fantastic drummer. Colin Hay, just great, uh, all great musicians. And we got on really, really well. And it was a joy to do. So it's a very diverse kind of set list, but just like one of the great experiences of my life, I must say, in my working life.
1: For many artists, I assume yourself as well, the influence of the Beatles remains. And for many people, 10cc were, had that sound of the Beatles or the invention in the 70s. Yeah. So playing live with Ringo and having that influence of a Beatle there must have really been special too.
2: It was it was very special. I mean, I've, the Beatles run through my blood. You know, they sort of informed me when I first started making music, writing songs in particular, and they still inform what I do today. You know, they are the standard, the uh, the benchmark that I aspire to.
3: As you know, my name is Ringo, and this is the All Star Band. Everybody on stage is a star in their own right. We're going to start the roll this evening with Mr. Ten CC himself, Graham Gouldman.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this first song I'm going to sing for you—you uh, you may not know because it was a hit all over the world except America. Uh, I hope you enjoy it anyway. It's called Dreadlock Holiday.
1: Because one of your first bands, The Mockingbirds, Mm. a really strange story where you were having huge success as a a songwriter, but for some bizarre reason, your own group, The Mockingbirds, couldn't get a hit. Yeah, I've been listening to some of that material, like You Stole My Love, which was (laughs) uh, released on the uh, immediate back in, I think, 65. And I listened to it and I think, that could have been a hit. Yeah, It feels like you just couldn't get a break in that group. Yeah, well, there's
2: no logic to it, really. Yeah, everything that The Mockingbirds recorded that I wrote, nothing happened to, and everything I gave away was a hit. So what can you do?
1: (laughs) With The Mockingbirds, you actually did warm-up shows in Top of the Pops in Manchester, is that right?
2: That's right. Well, um, when Top of the Pops uh, came from Manchester, there was a a church on Dickinson Road uh, that was converted into a studio and because the audience came in, they they had to do sort of get the lights right and the sound right and everything. They would have a, a sort of band to sort of keep the audience like warm the audience up and keep them happy. And on one occasion, we were on the Mockingbirds. So we played the warm-up set. And then the Yardbirds were one of the bands that was on the uh, t- on top of the pops, and they did For Your Love. And that was really quite bizarre but, and great, I loved it. <laughs>
1: Were going to release for you love, weren't you?
2: We did a demo of it amongst other songs and EMI, I think it was EMI turned it down. And it was then that it through a publisher that we got it to the Yardbirds and well, literally the rest is history because that was the first song that that really launched my career as a songwriter.
1: I was speaking to Brian Auger in recent months, and he's just got a fantastic story of turning up at the studio, a very small studio, to record that song, basically asking him to play, and he's like, well, what am I going to play? And then there's this little harpsichord in the corner, and he's never played a harpsichord before. And it works so well on the record. You'd think It it was by design.
2: You would think that. Well, Whatever happened, some kind of magic was was going on, and uh, I remember listening to the their version of it for the first time. And on the demo, it was just an acoustic guitar playing those chords, yeah. but it was amazing to listen to what they did. There was a kind of a it like was imbued with some sort of mystical magic. I don't know what it was, but it, well, obviously, it did had something about it because it went on to be a you know massive hit.
1: A heartful of soul by the Adbirds is another great example of that Eastern influence, and yeah, I recall that the group were thinking that the way that you wrote the song with the, the changes from minor to major and, and the rhythm of that inspired them to think that a sitar would be good. That didn't work out in the studio, so therefore, no, it didn't. You get one of the first uses of the fuzzbox guitar in in music, and again, that magic happens. Yeah,
2: yes, they because it was a kind of a slightly Indian influenced riff, although it was only three notes, you could, you know, it had that da 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 rather than a bluesy da 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 and yes they did get a guitar player in but you know different cultures hear time in a different way and apparently he just couldn't get the one two three four one two three four thing at all but then Jeff Beck arguably the greatest guitarist in the world well there are some others as well yeah but uh, just nailed it and that sound as well was fantastic
1: incredible quote by Peter Noon, Herman's Hermits, saying that yep. the group and Mickey Moss turned down songs by Carole King and Neil Diamond, but they never turned down one of your songs because they were so good. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that quote, but for me, that was just amazing.
2: <laughs> I didn't know that quote, but that's said that's a very, that's a real compliment. Uh, no, I hadn't heard that before. That's lovely.
1: One of the smaller hits of of Herman's Hermits in that period that we didn't discuss in twenty twenty was uh, East West. Yeah, we're getting in the run up to Christmas now, and uh, listening back to it, there's a really interesting story. There seems to be a bit of a festive element to that.
2: Well, well, it, there is in in the lyrics. Um, it does it does mention Christmas. The song to me is a very Mancunian song for some reason and uh, and actually Morrissey recorded it. Oh I don't know if you've heard that version. No. He recorded it and it was a B-side of a single I can't remember which single it was but it's a wonderful version as well as uh, Peter you know Peter Noons. I think he also added a added a verse to it as well or changed the lyrics of one verse. But uh, it was great and it was uh, and I think he got the mancunianness of it uh, maybe that's what i've never spoken i've never i met him many many years ago but we didn't really speak we were just sat in the same place in the hacienda i think it was actually oh. but anyway uh, i've never I, I don't know why he picked up on it but um his version is also worth worth a listen
1: in the lyrics you've got mom dad round the fire yeah uh, in festive attire yeah yeah, like some of the great songs you were writing in that period, you can just picture those terraced houses in Manchester with the yeah, and what's going on and, and life and family in those houses.
2: Yeah, the the lyrics to quite a lot of songs were very kitchen sink like, and uh, I have to credit my dad who I, who helped me with lyrics. Yeah, but that was really his his thing. Yeah, I mean things songs like No Milk Today, very mundane mm. thing to write about. And yet, when you think about it, what the milk bottle symbolizes it, it's it's quite deep.
0: East, west, over the ocean, perpetual motion, traveling around. How today Doing the round What a great life This must seem Swell joints Everything classy Nothing is tacky Only the best Lush girls over and dying Sighing and crying This is success What a great life This must seem Somehow I could not do Because of success What a strange life this can be But when I hear your voice Singing out the bell
1: Going forward to 10cc, I don't know if there's been many occasions where this happened, but on worst band in the world, where you actually had to add a lyric yeah. because there was implied profanity yeah. when you actually did not swear. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times that's happened.
2: Well, we, we have had a little bit of trouble with the BBC. I mean, first of all, yeah, well, Rubber Bullets was banned for a while. Had they have taken the trouble to listen to the song, then they would have realised that, The Rubber Bullets had nothing to do with Northern Ireland. But looking back on it, maybe just the fact that it was Rubber Bullets and there was some association with the Troubles in Northern Ireland, that's why they banned it. But yes, with the worst band in the world. The lyric was, it's one thing to know it, but another to admit we're the worst band in the world, but we don't give up. And they thought somehow that the word we were missing out was shit. So (laughs) they said, well, we can't play it. So we put a word in. We added a word to make it playable on the BBC, which was We Don't Get Up. And it was a nonsense, really. And, well, the record, it wasn't a hit single for us, but um, a record I'm very, very proud of.
1: In that period when you were recording um, up at Strawberry Studios um, Mm. sheet music, was Paul McCartney working with his brother Mike Yeah, Yeah, Mike McGeer, yeah. Were you recording at night and they were recording in, in the daytime?
2: vice versa right but the the studio was kind of full of paul's gear and full of our gear and we 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 borrowed a bit of that gear as well to record with and it, and it was a great and there was no doubt that paul being in and around the studio definitely influenced the album which i personally think and a lot of people think is our best album
0: We're the worst band in the world, but we don't give up If God will play guitar with Valentino on the drums Then we'd be nothing more than a bunch of dumb bums,
1: One of these songs that we didn't cover last time was I'm Mandy Fly Me. Yeah. Always interesting songwriters getting ideas for tracks, yeah. either lyrically or musically. And this is a, a great example where you see what now would be quite a controversial advert for an airline. And immediately, yeah, and
2: very non PC, on
1: PC, a, a light goes off and it's like, oh, that could be a good idea for a song.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the idea came from a uh, United Airlines poster that I saw that said, uh, I think it was, I'm Susie, fly me to Miami. All oh, right. Okay. What what are you getting at there? You know, but because it was intriguing, we sort of wrote a song about it. But starting off about someone looking at the poster and then going into this kind of dream world. But what one thing that's interesting about that song is that Eric Stewart and I wrote it and weren't happy with the uh with the lyric but we knew that we had something good and uh, asked Kevin Godley to have a look at the lyric which he did and a lot of the the lyric is I'm not even sure to this day what it means but that really isn't the point the point is that whether it feels how it feels for you I mean you can put your own interpretation on what the lyric means I mean we had a lot of things about oh it's about Mandy's you know uh the drugs and 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 it was absolutely nothing to do with that at all
1: good point to sort of highlight how good a lyricist kevin godley is yeah but maybe that's one thing about you working in that 10cc format is that you all brought something things to a song that that lifted them up so asking kevin means that it gets to an, an even more special place
2: yeah well we knew it wasn't quite right and so we wanted to present the song you know we knew we obviously knew that the song there was something there that was good but it could have been better and um we always wanted to present the best possible song that we that we could
1: One of the big surprises to me, and I've heard and saw about this through the Consequences podcast, which is excellent, is the yeah. Natural Wonder, the lost song yeah. that you did for Revlon that was discovered and baked. And uh, yeah. the vocal harmonies on that are amazing.
2: Yeah, but right. It's very 10 2 isn't it? Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. Uh, and there was something, actually, I didn't remember it. And, and And I spoke to Kevin about it. He didn't remember it either. So it's one of those weird things where we obviously went in the studio. It was a quick thing to do, you know. We came up with that. I can't. I don't, I don't even remember the sort of writing process of it. And then it was lost, but fortunately, it was rediscovered, and it was really intriguing to listen to.
1: Even though it's for an advert, mm. it holds holds its own. It shows the the craft that you had at the time that you for something that wasn't a single could still sound amazing?
2: I think everything we did, and and it goes, it's the same for me to this day when I'm doing my my own solo stuff or whatever I'm involved in. You want to make it the best it can possibly be, whatever it is. So whether it's an advert, whether it's a, I mean, I've been doing some library music with a friend of mine, which is such a lot of fun to do, but even so, it's got to be really good. That applied to the natural wonder. It's fine.
0: Far off places, gentle makeup, petal faces, with shifting winds and morning flowers. Kiss your face with April showers. Mirror, mirror, you don't lie. Every day's a natural wonder. Young skins, younger. Natural wonder.
1: Your fresh water. It's by Revlon, isn't it? Making that transition to a duo was an interesting process. And I read that a Good Morning Judge was actually a track that you played as live as a four piece and then brought in yes. into us when you became a duo.
2: That's right. I think we played it at, when we did uh, Nabworth with the Rolling Stones, but we never recorded it with the original four of us. But um, we did when we did the Deceptive Benz album, the first album that Eric and I did after Kevin and Lowell had left the band.
1: I guess that's where the role of Paul, although Paul had been playing live, and then you get Rick involvement, and then yeah. you also broaden out the group as well.
2: Yeah, that but that took a little time because when we did Deceptive Benz, it was basically myself, Eric, and Paul. There were a few auxiliary musicians, uh, Jean Rousseau, who played with... Uh, Famously with the Cat Stevens, played keyboards on a couple of tracks, but it was basically the album was the three of us, and I think because of that, first of all, I think Eric and I felt that we had something to prove. Half the band had left, and we decided to retain the name 10CC. So we knew we had it all to prove, and I think the Deceptive Band's album, album is is great. You know, I mean it it contained things we do for love and you know some really interesting tracks i bought a flat guitar tutor a track that no one else in the world would ever think of recording so it was it was we were intent on making something good and i think we did very well
0: i
1: to post 10cc I was listening to some of the very very early material that you did with Andrew Gold. Yeah. Even before Wax. Yeah. You had a number of a few names in that very early period and one, one of the singles that I think deserves to be heard more is Don't Break My Heart. It's got a, yeah. a bit of a Motown feel. Who did that come from was it you or Andrew?
2: Well, I think it, I can't even remember how how we came up with it. We were kind of like obviously Sort of maybe we're listening to to Motown and and that that's where it came from. Really simple song, but really effective, and um, it's got some lovely things in it. Uh, I, I really like that. But anything, you know, my the period working with Andrew was really sort of post Ten CC. He did work with us on the Ten Out of Ten album, and that's really where I he and I really connected. And when Eric and I decided to call it a day for that at that particular time, Andrew was the first person I contacted and said, you know, I've got a studio, a little studio at home, come over and for a couple of weeks and let's see what happens because I connected with him musically and on a personal level as well. He came over, which was going to be initially two weeks, and stayed for about six months. And we made this album, which never saw the light of day, but just working with him was a joy. I mean, he was a Beatle maniac. <laughs> and so that that suited me a lot, and we had lot, lots of things in common musically, and we we just connected so well. And I always say one of my happiest uh, partnerships was with uh, with Andrew.
1: Daylight, your solo track that's about Andrew. You you refer to him as a brother. Yes,
2: he was like a brother to me. Yeah, I mean he had sisters but no brothers, so uh, we just uh, maybe I'm, uh, I felt it because um, I'm an only child. So you know that that has something to do with it. But yeah, two brothers that are fighting for each other.
1: It must be so exciting when you you meet someone you click at a musical level. There's just that spark, and then. Especially as a lot of artists who came up in the 60s struggled in the 80s. You've got different sounds, yep. a different scene or whatever. But having that someone like Andrew with you to spark off each other means that you're kind of ready for the next decade.
2: Yes. Well, I always think I had like sort of three three careers or four possibly now, because there was my period as a in the 60s as a sort of jobbing songwriter my period with 10CC, with the original four, uh, the four of us, then working with Andrew. And now it's kind of a touring 10CC, but lots of other partnerships uh, that I've got, which I'm loving doing, and doing a lot of different things. I mean, forced to do things, not forced to, but particularly during the lockdown, I had to face my (laughs) technophobic, my technophobia, and put a studio in our, our house and get on with it. And I did, and it was the best thing i ever did, One of the best things I've ever done. Because I, I loved. I did. I did an album on my own. I did lots of recording with other people. People sending me files and that sort of thing. And it was. It was a, a joy.
0: Cold November day. I think about LA. The songs we used to play together California kid just doing what you did Beatles in your head forever Oh you meant the Didn't have a choice, the music and the voice made a beautiful noise, together, we rode the whole day long, chasing the perfect song, we knew that we belonged, to whatever, we I really thought these days would last forever You stood against the tide, and nothing could divide Two brothers who were fighting for each other
1: quite productive in in that period and and one of the the albums that i'm particularly fond of is no words today your instrumental album great versions i mean just some thank you your own version of mother nature's son the the white album track as well yeah beautifully recorded yeah thank
2: you that uh, that, that's a real compliment that you know the fact that because someone else said it's that's one of your best sounding albums uh i think probably because it's good sounding because I've got good equipment, I've got good, good instruments, and I can play. Uh, and the arrangements are quite simple, so there's not like loads of multi-tracking or anything like that. When there's less instrumentation, if it's well recorded, it kind of sounds bigger. So it was, it, and I, I had a lot of fun doing that. I studied, I looked at the sort of definitive arrangements to me of certain songs, like The Folks Who Live On The Hill, summertime looked for the best versions and let that inspire my my versions and um yeah I just loved doing it and um it was a lot of fun and and, and also well I put it up on bandcamp and then if anybody wants to buy it you can, you can pay whatever you like and all the proceeds go to the uh, goes to the help uh, musicians
1: charity had you played some of those songs on the guitar before or were you learning them afresh?
2: mother nature's son was a song that i always um played to myself it was just every guitarist i think has a little thing that they they do Uh, yeah and that's always been a favorite of mine
1: Bringing us back to this year, one of the most prominent things you've done is the single that you did with uh, Brian May, Floating in Heaven.
2: Yeah.
1: How did that come about? Did you write the song and then think that it would be perfect for Brian?
2: I wrote this. No, I can't take credit for that. (laughs) I I wrote the song and I'd sent a sort of unfinished version to Andrew at my record company. And he said, because it's about the James Webb Space Telescope, he said, you know, it would be a good idea if you could get someone like Brian May to play on it, because not only is he a brilliant guitarist, but he's also an astronomer and an astrophysicist. So I did. And he sent me back the most lovely email. The upshot of was he said, I'd love to play on it. And we got really, he went deep with me on, on that track. You know, he not only plays on it, he sings on it. We did some sort of re-recording at, at his uh, studio as well. I started off recording at my place, then went to uh, my friend Graham Pleath, who I do a lot of work with, and then went to Brian's place. And um, he got really involved with it. And And we've always... Um, it's been a fantastic connection with Brian, I must say. It's led on to quite a few lovely things. I mean, one of which was he started a festival called the Starmus Festival. And this year was the sixth, was the sixth year, which was in... Um, Yerevan, Armenia. And he asked me to go over and perform Floating in Heaven with him and an orchestra as well. And then he said, Well, it's a bit daffy coming over and just doing that. Can we do Heartful of Soul and For Your Love as well? And I'm not in love.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Uh, which we did. And it was it was great. You know, we, we stay in touch. And uh, he's a wonderful human being. What can I say? He's a, do you know the word mensch? Uh,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> Is a mensch. <laughs> very fitting. <laughs> yeah. So just to say that the on-air, ultimate greatest hits, 10cc live is, is out. Yes. As we said at the start, a fantastic document of that tour and that show.
2: Yeah, very good. I'm really pleased with it.
1: So what else have you got planned as we move into to next year?
2: The on-air, that concert's going to go out on December the 1st, I believe. So we're on a break now until February of next year when we're doing a Scandinavian tour. Then I'm doing a Heartful of songs tour in Holland, which is an acoustic show I do with, with three other, actually two of the boys. Well, I say two of the boys, but it's actually three of the 10 C boys, because got Ian Hornell and Keith Heyman, and also our production manager, Dave Cobby, he plays percussion with us. So we've got that in March and then in June, we're going to Australia and Japan. And then we've got some other stuff later in the year, which I can't remember exactly what it is. But it's, it's another busy year, as this year has been. Uh, a lot to do with the fact of uh, the pandemic, a lot of stuff has been yeah. pushed forward. But we're even booking stuff into 24 now. We're going to do a big city tour, going to do the Albert Hall again. So it's a, busy, it's a busy time.
1: That's fantastic to hear. What a pleasure it is to talk to you again, Graham. All the best for the next year and beyond. It, it just sounds exciting. Thank you. And I, I've seen the the Ten C sh- C show. I've seen the Heartful of Songs show, and they're all excellent. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. okay. Highly recommended. So, thank you so much. My
2: pleasure. Thank you. Nice to speak to you again. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Cheers, Jason. Bye bye.